Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Overlap. We've uh, made it through New Year's, we made it through all the resolution talk, and we're here a week later, and as Larry David famously said at some point, I forget when it was, um, yeah, once you're three days after the New Year, you can no longer say Happy New Year. It's too late, <laughs> the cutoff is three days, no more, no less. So anyway, welcome back to The Overlap. Of course, I'm joined by Rian. We have a lot to get through, a lot of stuff around the Premier League, Cup games, all that fun stuff. Uh, we'll we'll go through it all, but Rian, at least I'm not going to say Happy New Year, but what I will say is, how was your New Year? Oh, my, my New Year was very cheap, like cheap, <laughs> which is a, which is a good, is a good uh... <laughs> cheap by New York standards isn't really yeah. cheap, to be fair. Yeah, like like I've done. I think you and I have both done the whole like going out to a bar, paying for like an open bar or something like that. Uh, for New Year's Eve and mixed results at best with that, right? And, uh, and and you can always say afterwards that, yeah, it was a, kind of a waste of money. But <laughs> uh, I, I'm happy to say that at least the last few years have all been cost-efficient New Year's Eves um, and just spending them at a friend's apartment, which I prefer far more. So that's <laughs> <laughs> So it was good for me. How, how about you? It was good. The way that you're talking about it is so funny to me because you're, it's so adult. It's like, ah, I, I should be smart going into the new year about where I spend my money um, and not just going wild for the sake of going wild. How, how mature of you? You've, you've really grown up. I'll it's just, it's, it's, I've also found it's more fun. I, it's, yeah. I, I enjoy it more than, uh, than being kind of squished with other people and, paying like 140 bucks for an open bar where you're realistically going to get only like two or three drinks because there's so many people. Yeah. Yeah. Valid. Valid. Well, I'm glad you had a good time and I equally had a fun time except for I was at home for part of New Year's and I was in New York for part of New Year's. Um, kind of split my time. Most of it, uh, New Year's Eve was with, was with extended family and whatnot. It was really nice to see some people I haven't seen in a while. And then New Year's Day came back into the city and uh, spent some time with some friends and just played board games and chilled. Nothing, nothing too crazy. And honestly, that's the vibe going into 2023. I have my first vacation post like busy work time set up for for February. I'm thrilled. Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna have a good time. 2023 is really about taking care of ourselves this year. So I'm I'm excited. Um, We'll see. We'll see what happens in a couple months, Rion, if we get a chance to to go to Europe and spend some time, maybe watching some F one races. But uh, we shall. We shall certainly see. Before we get to all of that, of course, uh, we have to go through everything that happened over the last week in England because we had games midweek because of the delayed schedules from the World Cup. We had cup games over the. I guess this weekend time of recording is. I guess a Sunday night, and. Um, Gosh, it feels like we had a lot just happen. We're like back to like regular scheduled programming of just games all the time. You don't even know what your match day it is anymore. But yeah, not yeah. even just in England. You know, I mean, in, in, the, in yeah. the U.S. In the U.S. Here we had a whole as <laughs> parental scandal in from the U.S. national team. Yes, which, yeah. I actually, I mean, funny enough, just because I've been so in and out of being like available. Um, you and I haven't even had a chance to talk about that. Do you want? Do you want to start with that, like at a very brief high level, or do you not even want to touch it with like a twelve and a half foot pole? No, there's a there's 
there's not a lot to say right now. Obviously, while there's the the investigation going on at the U.S. Soccer Federation about um, the three decade old um, incident that went on with the Greg Berhalter and his his wife when they were both like very early on dating, where he apparently got into an argument, kicked her in the legs, and they broke up for a while, got back together, have now been married for 25 years and have four kids, I think. Um, <laughs> and then basically got borderline blackmailed by their best friends. <laughs> and, and and also, you know, the parents of Giovanni Reyna. Uh, there's, there's a lot. We obviously do not have, <laughs> are not able to cover it as well as uh, if people have not been able to read the ESPN or the art or the athletic articles on it. Those are great recaps of the whole situation. But uh, I think this overarching thing is like, wow, we, we need to do better. <laughs> Everyone needs to do yeah. better here, like culture-wise, but with the with the, the U.S. Soccer Federation to for for a parent to think that they can kind of have that influence is is an issue in itself. Even though, I, yeah, I, I I do somewhat not sympathetic is not the, exactly the right word, but um, the whole like the Reynas, there's specifically like Claudio Reynas, um words with I think Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride, who are like the um, general manager and technical directors of, of the U.S. Soccer Federation or the U.S. Men's National Teams, I should say. Um, like they did play with Claudio Reyes, so I can understand where you know he does know them growing. Like they have a personal relationship, so that kind of line between, I guess, complaining to people who are your friends while also still doing it at the World Cup itself and in the most awkward situation possible. Um, it, it is the, the lines are a bit blurred in terms of professional and actual personal relationships there, but, but still everyone can do, should have done better. And uh, it's just so messy. And, and it's something that really only happens when you're a major soccer country so that's all i can do is um is it's commendous for taking that step correct (laughs) i I, you can only laugh at there's there's not much to do than laugh at how ridiculous this all is um and i know that for my sense at least i don't know what your opinions are but i don't think any of this ultimately will matter in terms of like the should giorena be on play playing for this national team still like i i don't think there's any question on on that like obviously that's an obvious yes for me still i'm not gonna i mean it shouldn't matter but like i'm not gonna blame like i'm not gonna blame it for his for his parents stuff but um but yeah you do see like it does make sense too where some of the attitude problem like rumors problems i mean that were very well expressed in general um with him almost getting sent home from the from the world cup you can see where his attitude problems might somewhat stem from. <laughs> like, you can kind of see he's the drawing, genesis of it yeah. and, and what his parents, and his parents' reactions to his playing time. So I, I think you just hope that it gets better with him with time. And that's, that's really all you can cross your fingers for. We have a problem if for, for like two years from now, this is still an issue <laughs> like, for sure. Yeah. But, yeah. That's a much bigger issue. Um, 
I don't want to speculate too much or anything. It's just I kind of feel for Geo more than I guess anybody. I mean, yeah. obviously there. Do, are, do, there you, are... do you think that this should affect his his no, like role course, in the in the team going forward? No, because he he's not the perpetrator of anything other than being a bit of a brat during the World Cup, which seems to have been resolved during and afterwards. And then all of this came out, and everyone went, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, look. I, no, I'd to answer your question in short. Like, I don't think this should have an effect on Gio Reyna's, uh, I guess, standing with the team. Now, there's a broader culture conversation to be had with the U.S. Men's National Team and how they approach him as a player and his just general presence. But other than that, like, talent-wise, no. I mean, I don't think there's a question about his, his performance, or not his performance, but his, his standing with the team. But I, let's move on because this is, it's such a, like, this is going to be an ongoing saga until we understand whether Greg Berhalter is going to truly be the coach going forward now. Um, yeah. Because... The, the other, my other question for you is like, do you think that any of this, this, this like specific situation or the, um, yeah, or yeah, this specific situation, do you think this should have really any, how much of a bearing should this have on like whether Berhalter is the coach again or not? Or do you think this should, Pending that the investigation goes, I feel like as we expect, which is this happened, like this issue has been resolved basically yeah. already in, in yeah. terms of how much time has passed. Yeah. But um, yeah, how much do you think that this should or should not bear any weight in terms of like his um, prospects of being the coach again? I mean, that's a really tough question because it depends on how serious the allegations or the, the truth, not truth kind of was obviously, I think it's pretty clear. The allegations were true. I don't like, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but if it's, it's a, re if it's a resolved and closed and shut book and uh, like th this hasn't kind of like, this is just hasn't been an issue because it hasn't been an issue between the parties that were involved, not because it hasn't come to light, then can we all move on with our lives and he can continue being, the coach or the manager of this national team and criticize more so for the things that he is doing on the field and the choices he's making rather than what's seeming like a saga right now uh, that I don't fully understand. And maybe we won't ever fully understand. So yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't think this should affect his standing as manager of the U S men's national team, but I've seen weirder things we all kind of have. So I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think I, I think I'm probably on your side as well. Like, I don't think I think there's enough for us to judge him on <laughs> from what happened on the on the field. That, um, yeah, this this it's not a it's not a non-story for me. It's just it's not relevant in terms of what we're judging him for, like of him being the coach again. Like this this specific thing is I don't think of the falls into the categories of things yeah. to look at so super valid do you want to you want to talk about the premier league you want to talk about english teams things that will Let's hopefully have more of a i guess subjective take on things i'm not sure yeah. how to phrase it <laughs> or, uh, objective excuse me objective <laughs> take on things yes um rian of course our, our game of the week is going to be a game that actually happened last weekend just by the nature of the weird scheduling right now but two, can we say truly top four teams now? Because I'd like to say that. And I think I'm pretty confident in saying that that's the case. But Arsenal, Newcastle, 
although it was a nil-nil draw, a game with no goals, this is pretty crucial in the league table, league table, <laughs> league table, <laughs> um, as well as Newcastle's ability. I thought to not outperform Arsenal's midfield, but pace pace the mat like just man for man essentially. Um, it was it was a really interesting like talent battle more than it was just a tactical battle. Um, so I want to get your thoughts on what you thought of this game. Um, and I know I'm sure you have some thoughts on uh, Newcastle midfield as well, but what were your thoughts overall? Yeah, overall, I think you hit it. Like these are two legitimate top, like top four. I mean, Arsenal's at a, at a league winning level right now. And, and Newcastle are playing at a champions league qualifying level. Right. Like I know that, that we probably both think that their squad isn't quite at like a Champions League going throughout an entire season playing in a league and Champions League level yet. But the way that they're playing right now, having to really only focus mostly focus on the league itself, they're playing at that at that level. Um and this was a really interesting one for me to like looking forward to because We've seen Newcastle give just about every other big team, quote unquote, big team like issues, right? And they played really well against City, getting that three three draw um, back at Newcastle. They beat Chelsea, they beat Tottenham, and again they were able to frustrate one of these sides. And this time it was Arsenal, and they really did well to limit as you said the mid the midfield of arsenal and specifically talk about martin odegaard and by extension that helped them also limit the wingers for arsenal in, in terms of Saka and, and martinelli um it was really really impressive like they're they're so well organized defensively and mind you they're still doing a lot of this like, when they do end up winning the ball and trying to transition they're doing a lot of it right now um without Alexander Isak, who's been injured for a good part of the last few months. And then they just got back Alan Maximin. He and he came in as a sub in that game. But you know, the defensive organization is something that I wasn't quite expecting from Eddie Howe, like having watched him coach um at Bournemouth, but they completely limited yeah, I, I think Arsenal's most devastating like attacking options. Um just looking at like Saka and Martinelli, like those guys average about like three successful dribble take-ons per game, and they combined for only one like, in, against Newcastle itself. Like every time the ball was going out to one of them, I thought Newcastle did a great job of getting a second man over there to limit their ability to um, take men on and and really force them to pass backwards a lot. That was that was huge, and actually, you, the the one point I had on this was basically Newcastle's ability to outnumber triangles of, of the triangles of, of Arsenal, right? I think it's pretty clear from a tactical standpoint how Arteta likes to set up, especially as it relates to um, his wingers coming inside from the exterior and helping his midfield. Newcastle did a really really good job on doubling up on either the player with the ball, whether Osaka or Martinelli, or basically staying on top of any outlet pass uh, through the, through interior play, like basically in back into the, to an eight position um, and, and 
completely cut all of those those passes off. So I was really impressed with Newcastle's like ability to read those spaces. And I think to your point, like I didn't even realize that both of them had only combined for one successful completed dribble in that entire game. Cause that, that is the perfect, I think encapsulation of exactly how this went for Arsenal uh, going forward. And quite honestly, like, I don't think either of these teams have anything to be upset about. Like I, if I'm Eddie Howe or Arteta, I'm sitting there and saying that was, that's a completely fair and justified result for, for both sides. Um, there weren't a lot of, I think you mentioned like the high quality chances as well. The XG was very low, but it wasn't boring by any means. So I, I mean, like if I'm an Arsenal fan, I'm not worried. And if I'm a Newcastle fan, I'm not worried. That's kind of my takeaway. Yeah, not a, not at all. Uh, look, I, Arteta had had a lot of gripes after the game about a couple of calls that he thought could have gone Arsenal's way. I mean, and, of course, like, like that's and, kind of what you're. Just yeah, saying. And, and it's already and you know you already start to hear some people like complaining about Arteta's complaining, and it's like the same thing. I say, I feel like it's just like a cycle here. As soon as the teams become like at the level that like, they're competing for a title or competing for you know major uh, achievements like finishing top four, like, yes, the coach is gonna complain. You're gonna see their complaints a lot more, and they're gonna be like more <laughs> animated about them because there's more at stake. And then naturally, people are starting to say, "Oh, uh, Arteta's like annoying. Uh, well, stop complaining so much." It's just like this happens with literally every team that has like a really good team and a good coach they complain a lot that's just that is just how this goes like they're they're all very obsessed with winning they're gonna get really upset after any game that they don't win and it's they are no different than anyone else <laughs> it's it's maybe an issue if they're you'd be surprised if they don't complain correct <laughs> at that point right um but, but back to like what actually happened on the field um, <laughs> <Nice segue>. <laughs> <laughs> no, as, as I think, as you said, like Arsenal shouldn't be discouraged by I think this performance. I mean, Newcastle were so good at like like you said, stopping that outlet. A big part of that is stopping Martin Odegaard as well, right? He averages about forty five passes a game, and he only he was only able to attempt twenty nine against Newcastle. So they they did a great job of not allowing the ball in between their lines. Right. Um, and then as you touched on, like the high, the high quality chances that were limited for Arsenal as well. Um, Newcastle have one of like the best metrics in terms of XG allowed per shot. Um, they average Arsenal averages about 0.13 XG per shot. Right. And that's, that's tops in the league tied for tops in the league and against Newcastle, the quality of chances were about half that at like the 0.07 XG per shot. So you know, you touched on it. Like Newcastle was great at keeping the chances that Arsenal did end up creating very, very low quality. And for the most part, kept a lot of the ball outside of their own penalty area. Right. So I thought it was a great performance from from Newcastle from the defensive side. We saw again the kind of like Atletico <laughs> sides of their game come out, and and people are surprised by this. But like this is how they play. This is pretty much how it goes in these games, um, especially against 
the more established top sides um, when Newcastle get the lead and or like in a position to pick up points that they that they're satisfied with like that's this is how they've played at le- for most of the time since Eddie Howe's joined so um and, and they were doing this way before as well they just had worse players so we're never <laughs> able to get this <laughs> true true um Saudi but, money yeah. changes people yeah yeah <laughs> uh overall I, I think Arsenal still have only had two draws and one loss in this entire season I you you're not gonna be perfect every game and also they've had games where they didn't play to their highest level and picked up three points and so I think you know they've had more of those than the other side of it where they play well and, and it doesn't go for them so I, I think um overall the trending everything's trending still really well for us especially ahead of the the north london derby next weekend 100 percent. i think that's probably well it's definitely on the list of things that i'm looking forward to next weekend but the last question i have for you rian is as we head into the second half of the season especially for both of these teams what i guess i think we know what defines success for arsenal right now but for newcastle what do you feel kind of defines success for them heading into the second half of the season? I think continuing to stay really, like if not inside the top four, then pushing for it for the rest of the season. Um, I know it would be, it would be something of a disappointment, like some level of a disappointment if they don't finish in top four this season. Right. But just because of the position that they're in right now, but you know, if they were to finish like a few points outside of top four, I don't think overall the season is still a huge success because I, I still can't see them finishing any worse than sixth, really. Um, that's cause I just, I just don't think that there are, there's not, there aren't six better teams in the league than them right now, like for projecting for the rest of the season. And I'd say there might not even be, there might not even be four, but there's definitely not six. Um, so I, I think. Continuing to challenge for a top four is is success for them, and and like you said, for Arsenal, I, you know, you, nothing's guaranteed, blah blah blah. But like, they're pretty much guaranteed to finish at least top four, right? So already success if you think about what their expectations were coming into the season, and now it's just it would be a disappointment if they were to, if they were not if they were to uh, finish second, but. It would be a disappointment if they were to fall off and, and not really be close to winning the league by the end of the season. So both teams majorly overperforming expectations. And I think a disappointing season for them at this at this rate would take like a major collapse. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think anything worse than second right now is probably, I mean, historically, right? At this point yeah. in the season when any team, I think Newcastle is probably the last team to be in this position and not win the league um, mm-hmm. at this point in the season. So, yeah, anything worse than second, I think, would be a failure for, for Arsenal or, or maybe not success. Right? It would be so, disappointing. It yeah, would be pretty really disappointing, right? Because be... you don't see how, I mean, now, now, I mean, obviously Newcastle could, interest could happen to Arsenal and Newcastle would keep on this great run so that yeah. that could obviously that could happen and right like then they could end up finishing third but uh but that would be a disappointment in itself just because of the injuries yeah. and then outside of that i just don't see anyone other than newcastle challenging them for a second um i know that there are teams that have the quality to do it but 
you know, we're far enough into the season. <laughs> we know, uh, we basically know how good everyone is unless there are some major signings that happen in the next three weeks. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So that's, our, I guess, our, our thoughts on the game of the week. But, Rian, we do have to sh- fo- shift focus, uh, unfortunately, to the disappointing sides of what happened over the last week in the Premier League. Um, I know... I know there are a couple of interesting points here. Um, I, I put one of my own stats and, and what, what I want to put around kind of a specific team in, in England, but let's start with Everton, Rion, um, a team that was able to draw to city uh, a, with an incredible Damari Gray goal, by the way. Um, and thank you to him for helping me win that week in fantasy. It was very <laughs> helpful. Um, but Two points from their last, what, six games? Five games? Something along those lines. Um, and after losing 4-1, I believe it was to, to Brighton, not 4-0, 4-1 uh, this past mm-hmm. Tuesday, they they went on and got taken out by United in the FA Cup as well. In a game that potentially could have swayed a completely different way had, uh, I think, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's goal not been called offsides. Um to make it, I believe it would have made it two, two. Um, but Rian, what do you make of Everton's run of form right now? Is Frank Lampard once again in the hot seat? Are they once again going to be fighting for relegation? It looks like it already. Uh, although I should mention that everywhere from 13th to 20th in the table right now is within five points of each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I guess to, to answer your first question, like their form's obviously been terrible. Um, I, I don't think that unless unless they continue to lose like their next two or three games in a row, and and um, this kind of just keeps bottoming out. I, I, I think that Lampard gets to the end of the season at least. Um, I just I don't I don't know what. <laughs> what hiring they could make that drastically changes their trajectory this season. Um, I, I get, like, I don't know. Like maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's Sean Dyche. Maybe that is the answer. I did say before I'm this season, that, I, I had Everton as, as my, as a team that I expect to disappoint the most. And one of my reasons was because of some of the players that they brought in over the summer, including a couple Burnley players and, it felt like they were gearing for a relegation battle. And here we are. <laughs> here we are in January. Um, and they, after that, like, surprise draw, they still just have two points in the last six games um, after like, losing to to Brighton as well. They have the second worst expected goal difference per game in the league. They have the third worst third worst XG, second worst expected goals allowed, and they concede the most shots per game, right? There is just not a lot of things to be hopeful for with this team, right? Like they do have Dom- Dominic Calvert-Lewin back, so that's huge, right? But they basically need him to go like supernova, more or less, for the rest of the season to be able to be comfortably away from the relegation battle. And I... I don't think he's going to get the service to to be able to go supernova for being realistic. No, and that's so, that's part of the problem, right? Like, yeah, it's 
This team is really in a tough spot because Everton over the last what you you could kind of tell a story of Everton over the last twenty five years of a team that has not been properly managed. I guess all, across I mean, all, specifically the last five years. I would yeah. I would I would keep it if we're keeping it specific. Like it's it's in the last like five to six years where they've actually been able to spend at a level they've never been able right. to do before as a, as a club. And, and we've gone through those numbers, by the way, like oh we've my gone gosh. through yeah. where they yeah. put their money <laughs> in comparison, especially to a team like Liverpool. Yeah. Like I feel for someone like Frank Lampard, while I don't think maybe the Chelsea job was the first gig he should have, well, obviously it wasn't the first uh, coming from Derby, Derby County, but uh, like it, it was a big job. That one was too early. Right. Yeah. It was potentially too early. This is, all the other problems that he didn't necessarily face at Chelsea, which was a lack of talent and depth and support. And he he's found himself in a really sad situation because not many managers out there would be able to just walk into this and perform well. Like that's not, it, this isn't football manager, right? And that might be the title of the episode, right? I'm going to change that right now. This isn't football manager. Um, but that that would be my take on Everton, and yes, I agree with you, and I still agree with you, or I agreed with you then. I'm still going to agree with you now that they are going to be a contention for relegation throughout the rest of the season, because um, it is it feels like at least a one maybe two man show. Yeah, uh, and so bless them, honestly. Like we'll, we'll see, we'll see how the rest of the season goes, but yeah, there's there isn't a lot to be uh, encouraged by, especially watching their last few games um so they're not, not the only all. disappointing uh disappointment right now in, in merseyside though elias that you had liverpool on here as, as one of your disappointments right i did and here's the thing with liverpool right and and maybe in i think i put this uh this stat specifically in uh in the notes like midweek right so this was before their game against wolves but it's still kind of stands right you're coming off uh, a series of somewhat disappointing performances uh mainly against obviously city and brentford and then wolves very easily could have won not very easily but almost debatably should have won this game um in the fa cup liverpool have conceded 51 big chances this season right that's more than twice as many as the five teams that are above them in the league and in, in a season where we've talked about, or specifically in an episode where we've talked about Newcastle being so defensively dominant, this is the difference, I think, right now between top four and maybe a team that's in contention for the Europa League or the UEFA Conference League. That right there is the difference. The amount of big chances that you're going to concede and the higher the, I guess, the, the quality of the chance is. Mm -hmm. Because... In a game of margins, and in a season of margins, certainly this season, looking at both the relegation battle and even top four, that cannot fly. And I look at a backline of specifically um, Matip and Van Dyke, and you think on paper they are they're, they're strong defenders, right? They've historically been a strong center back pairing. So the question for me is over the last couple of weeks been what's been going wrong? And Rian, I've kind of over the last couple of weeks just begun to notice how much this Liverpool midfield is not keeping up with the rest of the Premier League right now. 
any combination of Tiago, Henderson, even Fabinho right now, I truly, and I hate to use this, this somewhat cliche phrase, I truly think they're being beat for pace and on the ground. And I think that's almost entirely what it comes down to. I saw, or not I saw, but I think back to, um, I think it was against Wolves, right? Allison's mistake, right? In that, in that first Wolves goal. It would not, obviously Allison's mistake was sloppy, right? But I think back to the tackle that Tiago made to actually strip the ball of, I forget who it was um, in that position for Wolves, but he was ready to get a shot off. And I thought, wow, okay, you know what? That's the kind of thing that Liverpool need. And that's the kind of thing that's going to actually help them look towards top four. Of course, Allison goes and does that. But <laughs> even in a world where if you're a Liverpool defender, I feel as though, and this is not a blame, by the way, I feel as though you can or should be making any sort of effort in case Allison potentially saves that, that what should be like a 0.95 XG shot, right? It's in some ways, look, that, that's a the one extreme example, but there are so many examples I could give in which this Liverpool midfielder is not doing enough. And I think, I think to like, if they were going for two specific players I really liked in the World Cup, this midfield could be entirely different. Um, I'm thinking of Enzo Fernandez being one in the sixth position and Amrabat of Morocco as well. Uh, like, I feel as though th both of those two players could make a real difference, but I think this is what it comes down to for Liverpool. Yeah, it's it's the same issues that, that they were having before the World Cup, right? It's like their ability to counter pressure and and, count, and basically cause turnovers from um, counter-pressing is way down off the last few years, and it's partially to do with just their more aging midfield. And I think that really not having a third midfielder that they could rely on to be a really big positive in terms of um, their ability to win the ball back. You know, they've tried out Harvey Elliott in that place where, you know, he's just defensively, he's just not, doesn't have the awareness really. And, and that's not the type of player he is either. More of attacking minded player. Um, tried Henderson out there and it's, been mixed results and partially that's to do with the fact that he's getting older right and then um anyone else that they've played there hasn't been consistent whether it's like actual how they're playing on the pitch or think about someone like Nabi Keita's um case who hasn't been able to consistently be on the field for them so it's that they're really trying to like piece things together it feels like and it feels like they're more of like a counter-attacking side um honestly so their problems again unless there is another one like one or two big signings made for them this this january i just don't see the consistency that they're gonna need to have to, to i think jump into that top four um but you know that being said i think that fourth place is pretty up for grabs and, and i don't um i i don't think that they're going to need to be 
like even like 90% of the team that they've been in the last five years to get fourth place. But there's still just like so much like structurally um, off, I think, from from how good they have been in the last few years. 100%. Yeah. And look, that that was my point from earlier, like that, giving up those big chances is going to be potentially a difference between fourth place and fifth place or sixth place. Right. So it is up in the air, but that doesn't give me hope right now. Um, hey, maybe Cody Gakpo comes in and changes everything. But um, I will say Darwin Nunez's goal this past weekend was uh, was very good. So that gives me a little hope. But, Rian, let's shift to the last team and kind of the disappointing section for for us this week. Um, where do you even want to start with this? Chelsea are 15th in the league right now in, in expected goals. They are, of course, not actually 15th in the league standings but they're playing not yet not yet (laughs) yeah they're making a really making really really hard for us to think that they are not actually at that point um what in god's name rihanna is going on like like truly what 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 (laughs) you guys also by the way play liverpool in two weeks so that's gonna be fun you've lost um in all competitions you've lost Four out of your last six or seven, four out of your last seven now. Are you okay? <laughs> I'm doing, I'm doing great. What are you, I'm laughing through the pain. About. I've heard that laugh before. I'm doing awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, this, this seems, look, uh, Elliot's thought about putting this, the Chelsea City game, as the um, game of the week, and and I, I originally agreed to it. While in the back of my mind, I was thinking this could just really not be that interesting of a game at all because one of these teams is like is having something of a a, a somewhat disappointing disappointing season uh where things aren't going quite as perfectly as usual but still are so good that they are like five points off of first place and the other team is just the season's getting progressively worse through a combination of injuries being a, a big one where you know corpses are being being just um wheelchaired out to play some of these games as as well as the players or some of the players might be lacking form confidence and on top of that like a manager who's obviously getting to grips like still getting to grips with whatever this what this job might be and maybe realizing this job is a bit more different is going to be a bit more difficult than uh, maybe any of us expected. Coming in. The description didn't fit reality. <laughs> yeah, um, I I don't know. I I think that I find myself trying to keep the same um, kind of philosophy towards this as I had during much of like the first let's say 18 months or so of the Arteta tenure at, at Arsenal where, you know, I'm trying not to be a hypocrite because during that time, I think you and I were on the same page that it was really hard to judge Arteta based on 
some of the guys that were in those Arsenal teams, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like I actually had we were like we didn't really know how good of a coach he is because what the hell is he gonna do with at that point was the zombie of like Willian and 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 like Lacazette and and guys like Pablo Mari. Like like it was hard to really get a good gauge of of how good um of how that might like turn out when the players were just so poor. I think that Chelsea is at a the foundation is a better place than I than I think it was when Arteta joined Arsenal. Um but at the same time, I think you look at this team where you, you noted it, 15th in XG, but also 15th in shots per game. And they have, and you know, the thing that kills me, which I talked about before, where they just lack so much um, ability to create chances, like whether it's as a team or individuals, no team has created fewer shots via dribbling actions than Chelsea this season, which just floored me. And it's like, how is this possible? Like worse than worse than every other team. But like that it's just every other team. Like every the, even the bad ones that you think about, <laughs> yes, they're worse than them at that at at, at creating anything off dribbles. Yeah. Well, okay, can um, I ask you a question there? Because if you think of and we had this debate like very briefly, but who who is a creative midfielder in the side that's able to actually create big chances, right? I gave you one example, which I thought was Mason Mount, and that's even stretching it. So do you have it? Do you have it, like an actual answer to that? Cause I don't. Yeah. There's not, he's not a midfielder. He's the right back. <laughs> the team. It's probably the best chance creator on the, in the entire team in Reese James. Um, and then, and then I, 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 like maybe a quarter jokingly said to you that it's tough when our best, the, the guy who can most reliably make a pass over 15 <laughs> yards is, is the 38 year old center back. And, <laughs> and I'm talking about Tiago Silva, obviously, but, um, and his passing is great. His long passing is fantastic. It's not taking anything away from it, but um, it's just more of a, more of a proxy towards, where it's like so much of the struggles are and in, in watching this team a lot of the time. And, um, and I'm not saying that I, I, I'm not saying that grandfather is doing a great job right now either, but I, I right now have a hard time separating how much of it is players that don't fit or like, don't quite have the quality um, expected of a Chelsea level player. Right. Uh and how much of it is genuinely like poor coaching and, and some, some of it is, is, I mean, obviously it's a mix of the both and I, I'm not, and I'm finding a hard time delineating how much to assign to each. So I'm kind of at this point right now where like, until I can definitively say that this is, that we're underperforming to like some astronomical level based <laughs> on how good I think the players are. And, 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 um, and I've like, I feel like I'm at a point where it's like, okay, this team is actually good, but we're doing poorly until I'm at that point. I, I find it hard to, uh, I, I find it hard to, to make any sort of judgment, <laughs> being honest. Um, and really this, I, I don't think anyone would have, I don't think you, if you asked me, I would have never argued that grandpa is a better coach than, than Thomas Tuchel. I would have always said the, you know, the opposite. Right. 
But you know, part of me is also is <laughs> thinks like, wow, this team is not that much different. And I and I've felt some of these feelings towards some of these players in terms of how they fit in this team and the future, their future in this team. Um, and it's just more and more feeling like there was like 18 months under Tuchel where he got the absolute max of so many of these players. It might have just delayed things that should have happened like three, two to three years ago. <laughs> and, 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 and almost to the point where, you know, at least I almost liken it to like maybe the last few years of Messi at Barcelona where he's just so good and he covers up so much, so yeah. much of the cracks yeah. that it, that you don't find a reason to replace any of the <laughs> things that are obviously like that are obviously not long term solutions, if that makes sense. So, yeah. um, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm at that point with this team right now, with, with Chelsea right now. And, and I don't see, it's it's not going to get better really for the rest of the season. I, I don't I don't think there's any reason to think that this team's going to um, challenge for top four. And, and and again, like I said, I've already said a couple times in this episode until something drastically changes in the transfer market, maybe. But uh, yeah, I don't think there's any reason to, to think that we're getting much from this team for the rest of the season. And I'm hoping that it's hoping that the expectation just drops and now. Let's just figure out who actually should be on this team going forward, and 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 let's get some guys minutes and figure out who should be here past the season. This is the definition of a rebuild summer for you guys, uh, and hopefully, uh, our friend Todd is is obviously involved in a lot of these transfers. But I, I'm more concerned about outgoing than I am ingoing right now or incoming, I should say. Yeah, um, because you guys are basically you're not nearly at the barcelona level of just dysfunctionality but from a talent standpoint right you do need to get some of these players out um i think of the Jorginhos of the world i think of what you're going to do with conte what are you going to do with pulisic right all those players right now <sighs> tugel did really get a lot out of them he really did you guys won a champions league i can't believe it but almost four years ago and um or oh, two, two years, years ago. three years three, now three years three years excuse me um feels yeah. like forever ago feels like a very very far time ago but rian we have to shift focus towards what we're actually looking forward to at some point because otherwise we'll fall into a deep depression keep continually talking <laughs> about teams that disappoint us um manchester united let's talk a little bit about them a team that has won what now four straight i believe um in the league specifically and then of course uh a cup game against um, Everton and their last win, I guess, outside of the cup, I should specify coming against Bournemouth in which Marcus Rashford is continuing his world cup run of form. And I just want to take a second to acknowledge his, um, I guess his performances for United recently, a lot of this post injury or a lot of uh, Rashford's play post injury, I think concerned us, right? I think it concerned us around, what was the A going to look like? But more importantly, how consistently can he keep up with what he was doing before he was, you know, medium term, long term injured? And it seems like the biggest difference for him was getting a slight break between the club seasons and the World Cup, not necessarily becoming a starter immediately for England and showing up when needed and when he did get his chances for England in the World Cup. And that in and of itself is a confidence boost. 
And you're seeing him now come into a United team where, granted, I think the one thing that I would just caveat all of this with is that their schedule has been relatively easy since coming back from the World Cup. They've had Nottingham Forest, which, by the way, Chelsea could not beat, not to rub more, more salt <laughs> in the wound, um, but beating United, er, excuse me, Nottingham Forest 3-0. Of course, Rashford scored in that and scored the first goal. Beating Wolves 1-0. Again, thank you to courtesy of another Marcus Rashford goal. And, of course, beating Bournemouth 3-0 again um, with Marcus Rashford scoring the last of those three goals. Now, I have to ask because I, I'm, I'm just curious now after years of taking a piss all over United. They are now two points above Spurs in fourth place with a game in hand. Do you see United as true top four contenders? Oh yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I, I think I realize that their recent run of form is not is not against great competitions. You said it four straight wins, okay, three of them against Bournemouth, Forest, and Wolves, but you know still eight wins, one draw, one loss in their last ten Premier League games. Like that's that's a pretty good sample size for us to be able to say this team has turned a corner, right? Like in terms of where they were the first two months of the season, really. Um, they're, we, we know they're not really close to the finish article still, but they have improved a lot of that having to do with, I think, the great play of Casemiro recently, right? Giving them the that kind of foundation where we know that they're not at the finished article in terms of like their buildup play and, and he's not so much of a, of a tool in that sense, but in terms of just literally having someone who can win the ball back for them and create those counterattacking chances where guys like Rashford, guys like Martial um, really thrive as, as well as like Bruno, of course, right. Where he's able to play the ball. Like he has more space to play the passes into right. In those counter situations. Um, we've been seeing kind of like the fruits of, of having like a player at that level in, in their, in their midfield on a defensive um, point. It's like allowed them to create so many of these good chances that they've been able to do. And, and that's what they've been able to create over two XG in each of their last four Premier League games. So this is a team that goes into the Manchester Derby with like, far more encouragement than they did last time, right? They lost six two was the, was the score in the last game, and and this is a completely different team in terms of obviously confidence is a big is a big one, but um, I think in terms of, like their identity as well, knowing who right now is are their best players and um, and their kind of best weapons in terms of how they want to play right now, so it's. It's going to be interesting. I think I think we'll see a much better performance from United in that in this game coming up against City. A much more coherent performance, one where we can tell like before it was like, all right, this is kind of what they're trying to do in that first game against City, and and a combination of not having the right, not having the players ready or the right players in time for that game um versus now in this game they they know how they're going to play and they and they're going to have more confidence going into it um 
I'm excited to see from the United side, like how they how they approach this game, and and just in general, like how how much more confident they actually look on the pitch compared to the last time. The one thing that I would say um, too about United, and, and you, you kind of talked and touched on the the derby specifically, this is pr- this will probably be one of the most com- competitive from a who will get the points standpoint or uh, standpoint. Uh, how do I phrase this? That let me restart that thought. I think the Derby specifically will be one of the more competitive Manchester Derbies in the last, I would say, four to five years because I do think they are trying starting to find their identity. I think Eric Ten Hag has also done a really good job of really adding discipline to this team, and you saw it, of course, with Marcus Rashford and and the comments he had after um the Bournemouth game, I believe. But more importantly, I think what this has allowed the team to to do is kind of rally around each other. And I also think the talent is sort of always been there, but it's at the end of the day, it is on the coach to get the best out of the structure of these players. I don't think Ralph Ragnick was the person to do that. You know how I feel about Ole. And I think Eric Ten Hag is someone who can in some way, it's in a lot of ways like Thomas Tuchel, right? I think there's parallels, get the best out of these players because he does come in with a clear identity and, for better or for worse, he's very black and white about it. If you fit into the structure, great, I'm going to use you. If you don't, done, you're out. And that's kind of what United need. Now, what I'm very curious about is where do they end the month of January? Not only do they have the Manchester Derby next weekend, but they also have Arsenal the week after that. And in between those two games, they have Crystal Palace, a team that has always been the Achilles heel of this United (laughs) sign over the last three seasons. So. That I think will really test specifically what their their identity looks like. Yeah, that's a great point. We're, we'll get a better sense of this team over the next four four to five weeks, right? Um, from the city side of this, they obviously kept the pressure on Arsenal after getting that one 0 win against Chelsea, and now they're five points off of first place. Ellis, um, do you? <laughs> I mean, it it's it honestly doesn't feel like this has been any sort of like a disappointing season for River City. I think people, I feel like people are going to try to say it it has been because they're not like easily coasting for the first place at this point of the season. Yeah. Um, when when realistically, I think it's just as we said earlier, Arsenal only dropped. I think it's five points all season. <laughs> it's, that's that's a pace that we normally expect City to set. I, I get that, but you know when the, when there is another team doing that, it's hard to it's hard to be dom- like look as dominant in the league table as a City have at, at certain times over the last few years. But um, I I think that there is something to be said that they do feel a bit more vulnerable defensively at times um the first half of that chelsea game they tried something not not different but they kind of played with like three center backs and and it didn't quite work in terms of um them being able to control the game against chelsea and then it'll be interesting to see if they run that out again against united but they they made the change at halftime against chelsea and and basically went back to the same um, setup in today's game in the FA Cup where they 
just destroy Chelsea for now. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I, I think this, people might feel like this has been a disappointing or will be a disappointing season. I don't know for, for city. I, I think the expectations are just like, so ast- stupidly high that it's that, you know, people will want to look for reasons to bring them down, uh, understandably, but, um, if, if I, anyone, I sorry, sorry to interrupt. I, I, just, no, I, I have to, I have to say this. If anyone is not a fan of Manchester, Manchester City, and you support almost any other team in the Premier League, you would kill to be in City shoes. Absolutely, kill to be in their shoes. So, anyone that's writing City off as a disappointment this season, I, no, I, I just I won't accept that. <laughs> Yeah, like it'll be disappointing if they f- if they finish like twenty points off of first place or something. Yeah. That would be that would be yeah insane. But like, um, they're they're one adjusting to a, a new way of playing, like a somewhat new way of playing when they get to the final third, right? With with Holland, they're trying more of those passes directly in behind and trying to find him to to fit his playing style. Um, and he's also adjusting to the league. I, I know it's the adjustment has seemed seamless, but um, it, between that and you know a couple, there are definitely like a couple of these players who are, I think are in their last season or two with City, just in terms of like a where they are in their careers and and um, and the age profile of this team. So we're also having like a little bit of a beginnings of a transition. It really began last season with Sterling leaving, right? Um, and so I think all of that kind of comes into this situation where, yeah, they might not be 100% of what, of their best that they've shown over the last five years, but they're probably operating at like 90% right now. And just, and just, there's another team, in, there's a team in London that's operating at like 98% of, of city's levels in the last five years. So it, that's, that's really the difference right now. Spot on, my friend. Spot on. Um, I guess the the last question that I kind of have for you in terms of things that you're looking forward to is also along the lines of the North London Derby. I know we didn't get a chance to talk too much about Spurs. We always talked a lot about Arsenal. Are you? It's easy to ask, are you looking forward to the North London Derby? Yeah, duh. But more importantly, are you... Are you expecting Arsenal to kind of walk this game the same way that it felt like they did in the first North London Derby of the season? Or are you expecting Spurs off the back of a pretty dominant performance in which, by the way, I I noticed this like right after the game, Spurs still did not score a first half goal in, in, their, <laughs> against their, Palace, yeah. in their win against Palace. All of them came in the second half. So are you are you expecting Arsenal to put up the same type of performance and not just the the same results as well. It's probably harsh, but yeah, I am expecting them to put up a similar performance. I I think that I I think the Spurs are in a worse place in terms of their season than they were going to that first game. And and going to that first game, I thought Arsenal would win um, maybe not comfortably, but would be the comfortable favorites in that game. And they'll be comfortable favorites in this one too. And there's there's nothing about how Arsenal have played recently that makes me think that they shouldn't win this game relatively comfortably. No, I, I mean com- comfortable is a I don't it's like to use that word. Yeah, um, but they should 
win this game. They should dom. They should at least dominate the share of chances in this game. How about that? Like finishing the chances that we can almost never predict, right? But actually creating the chances, like they should dominate that part of the game. Um, and I think that they uh, themselves are also in a better place than they were going into that first derby. Because I think even going to that first derby, we were still. We still had a very small sample size of how good this team was was going to be for this season, and now we we know it for sure. We don't have any doubts about how good they are. So the expectation national naturally has to rise, and I expect them to to if not dominate the scoreline, um, I expect them to dominate the run of play in this game. I would have to entirely agree with you, and quite honestly my favorite part of what I'm expecting in the North London Derby is to see Martin Odegaard like truly run just races around the Spurs midfield. I, I like that is, that is a truly like special sight to be seen. And I don't mean that like in a kind of superfluous kind of way. I mean, it truly like you're talking about a, a really, really, really good, midfielder like one of the yeah. top midfielders in the world and this is one of arsenal's most important games of the season and i just want to personally see really good talent on display obviously i have a slight bias towards arsenal but not incredibly high i just really want to see good good football and i'm expecting martin odegaard to put in man of the match performance that's my, my that's my expectation i'm looking forward to it it's easy to say but, no, uh, no, no yeah. it's it's very. Yeah, easy. I'm looking yeah. forward to I'm looking forward to every to as you said every game I can watch Odegaard play right now. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Well, Rian, with that, I think that wraps up everything we were going to get through from Arsenal Newcastle being our game of the week. Who knew a scoreless scoreless game would be a game of the week? To our host of disappointments <laughs> again, I'll be praying for you and um, everything we're looking forward to in the, the next week to week and a half. We'll be back after the Manchester Derby, the North London Derby. It's going to be probably pretty difficult to choose what a game of the week uh, is going to be next week, but we'll come back. We'll talk it all through, and we'll talk a little bit more Spain in a little bit too. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, guys.